This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We're talking manufacturing today, but we're talking procurement. The topic of inventory management has come up in manufacturing, so many other use cases. Procurement specifically, not exactly the hottest topic we've covered, but it's definitely an area where there's a lot of room for improvement. There's a lot of clunky guessing games in procurement, and they are extremely costly if we get them wrong. Whether we're ordering too much or too little of something, or overpaying or taking too long to get something, all of these have downstream consequences in the manufacturing domain. Our guest this week is an expert in this space, David Schultz is the VP and Chief Supply Chain Executive at Westfall. Westfall is a manufacturing firm based in Las Vegas, Nevada. David studied chemical engineering before getting his MBA at Bentley. Westfall is a contract manufacturer. They do a lot of different things, but they work a lot in plastics and resins. David himself has studied chemical engineering before getting his MBA at Bentley University and then serving a number of leadership roles in the supply chain. Today, we break up this interview into two sections, the first of which is articulating what the specific challenges are in procurement in manufacturing. Why is this as consequential as it is? And what kind of rules of thumb guessing games do we have to play today in manufacturing to make business decisions? We have to guess how much our customers are going to do business with us. We have to guess which of them are being overly optimistic about the orders that they say they're going to do this year, which of them we think are being a little bit more truthful or have a better understanding of reality. We have to factor all of that in to how much we're going to spend for parts and materials for our manufacturing operations. The second part of the interview, we focus on where data and artificial intelligence fit into the mix. Westfall is a client of our Kestro. Our Kestro is the sponsor of this series. So we previously had an episode with Edmund Zagarin, who's the CEO of Arkestro. So David shares his perspective on the kind of data that is becoming increasingly important in manufacturing when it comes to decision making, and also where AI is fitting into the mix to be able to help make smarter, faster decisions. There's a little bit of talk at the end about the future. You can stick around to the end of the episode for that. Again, this episode is brought to you by Orchestra. Without further ado, let's fly right in. This is David Schultz with Westfall here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, David, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. We're, we're diving in on manufacturing. And, David, over the years, we've covered uh, so many use cases in manufacturing, from inventory prediction to predictive maintenance, et cetera. Haven't focused that much on procurement, but that's the topic of our interview today. Before we get into where AI and data come to life, I want to get an insider's look at some of these big challenges of manufacturing procurement, ordering parts, dealing with inventory, et cetera, and kind of tee up for the folks at home. What makes this such a hard problem? Could you help us out with that? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to do so. You know, the whole supply chain environment has really risen to a different level, obviously, through the pandemic. People hear the word supply chain and, you know, they, they understand maybe what it means now, or at least they're exposed to that. It all starts and ends really, really with the customer, right? So really what it comes down to is, you know, what kind of forecast, what kind of demand predictability can you get on that end? And then really cascading that all the way back through the operation that goes all the way back through to your suppliers so that you can take that demand and satisfy that with the parts and the operation that you bring in. And historically, that's talked about as SNOP in the industry, sales and operations planning. So it truly does encompass all the way from your customer, your commercial side of the business, all the way through to the manufacturing side. Got it. So, and and I can imagine this has been a clunky and complicated process for as long as it's been around because 
if I know anything about customers, you know, you can't necessarily predict everything they're going to do, everything they're going to want all the time. There's likely some best practices that you folks have to operate with today or that the industry has to operate with today about looking at historical kind of forecasting, kind of quarter over quarter, month over month, looking at maybe the activity of different customers and estimating, okay, based on what they ordered last year, what do we think they're going to order this year? What are some of the factors that go into these, you know, guesstimates, I hate to say it, what are the factors that go into these guesstimates today that allow manufacturing to operate? Well, I think, Dan, you said that perfectly. They are guesstimates, and the, the day that you issue a forecast, it's wrong. But I think what you have to make sure that you you do, as you mentioned, is is it 90 plus 95% of the way there that's going to get you to your end goal? You know, and basically what you're looking at is historicals, as you mentioned. But I think what's made it difficult, you know, in the, in the last 18 months or so is people talk about in many ways, you know, what are we going to get back to normal? There is no back to normal ever, in my opinion. It's the next normal. And I think what you have to realize is when you look at historicals, there's a lot of noise in the data over the last 18 months, let's say. And what I mean by noise is, for instance, we're in the contract manufacturing business, which means that we deal with multiple industries, not just, you know, you've, you've had podcasts about automotive industries and others and that, yep. that nature. Being a contract manufacturer, we service the healthcare industry, medical devices, CPG, consumer packaged goods, durables all kinds of different industries, and they all have their own unique nuances. Our major focus in our contract manufacturing business is around plastics resins. And what's happened in the last 18 months is there's been a shortage. There's been force majeure declared more in the last 18 months than my entire career, and also allocation. So if you want to use historical data in the future and you look back and you say, wow, look at the spikes that we had in those particular months. We're going to see those again. That may not be the case. And we may have ordered material because it was on allocation. And if we didn't order any, we wouldn't get any supply the the following quarter. Yeah. So I I guess this is part of what has thrown supply chain for a loop is the fact that the rules of thumb that might have worked in the old normal, which as you had mentioned before, we're not getting back to any kind of old normal anytime soon. The rules of thumb that helped us with kind of guiding those decisions in the old normal, they're just not settling in the same way. Different products are being made in different ways. Like you said, there's this force majeure sort of flare up in the industry, unlike anything that has had a historical precedent in your business. And so now we're, we're not really able to just use those, those past rules of thumb. I suppose it feels to me like the business impact here is kind of twofold. And again, not, not working up close with manufacturing, only talking to other people, David, I'll have you fill in the blanks here. But there's this tightrope that folks like yourselves are, are walking where you do not want to be carrying vastly excessive amounts of inventory because it's, it's going to suck up cash. And maybe we're not even going to be able to use all of it. And there's a tremendous amount of risk there. But then, of course, there's the opposite side of the coin where our customer really did need a certain amount of our help, activity, support during a certain time period. And, you know, we just didn't have enough to get the job done. And so it, it feels like we're, we're sort of straddling those two things. You know, we're going to get into AI in a second. But when you think about how these decisions are made today, how do manufacturing leaders have to walk that tightrope now? What, what is the process? It's a very important tightrope and very carefully really is the answer. But I would say the best way to think about it is for many, many years, we tried to operate on a JIT, call it just-in-time inventory environment, as you talked about with Kanban and things of that nature. 
it has switched in the last couple of years to a JIC, I call it, just in case. Hmm. So people bring an inventory in in a just-in-case fashion, and that has really disrupted everything that's, that, that gets done. And you're 100% right, Dan. There are times where it's like, wow, I'm glad we brought that in just in case because we do need it. And there are times where, you know, that inventory sitting on the floor is really, you know, pallets of money sitting there, you know, that, that are just wasting away. So I think our big challenge right now is to understand you know, the quality of the forecasting, the quality of what's happening. And now, of course, we're entering into an inflationary environment, a recession potentially, and warehouses are full. So we can talk a little bit more about that. But those really are the challenges. Is it a just-in-time environment or is it a just-in-case environment where your inventory and everything was worked off of? Yeah. So an important distinction in many respects here, just-in-case sort of sounds to me like that's how you would operate when the world is flush with cash. You know the business is going to come around sometime. So you're just willing to throw down the dollars because, hey, if we get another two big orders to come through, these big anomaly type orders we've had in the last you know, six months, we want to be able to execute on those and collect our, our invoices kind of ASAP here. So let's just have this just in case. It feels to me like just in case is indicative of a temporary environment in the market where we know the dollars are just kind of floating and flying around. Is, is, is this the correct way to interpret that or, or am I reading this wrong? No, I think you're interpreting it properly, but it's very dangerous. Oh yeah. And it's dangerous because, you know, to operate a business off of, you know, a, a customer's forecast instead of their open orders, you know, or their hard orders makes it very, very difficult. And, you know, you can have the relationships and you can have, you know, all that. But when it comes down to their large customers canceling orders and then that cascading back through the supply chain, yeah. you know, somebody's going to get left with a lot of inventory and holding the ball. And in many cases, you know, it's that organization that was trying to do the right thing, listening to the forecast, observing it, bringing in that material, and then end up, you know, having some metrics that, you know, don't quite meet what they were looking for in their, in their business performance. Yeah. And so, okay, we're going to make our way into the data and AI space. Although you brought up a point that I didn't have on the agenda, but I do want to touch on because you're, you're the one that lives and breathes this stuff. And that was sort of considerations around the potentially inflationary environment that we're, we're entering. What are some of the things that I guess are coming to the fore that make some of this prediction even more important based on where we're headed here? Yeah. So can the past performance indicate future performance? And that's a very, very important question. And I think you really have to look at that industry by industry. And in a lot of cases, I mean, I, I think I read a study at one time that was talking about, you know, during this environment, th there were all of these orders that were put in or not so much orders, but forecast that were being made for these products and so forth. And then when you literally went back to the customers and said, listen, we're going to put, you need to put hot orders in for all this because this is very important in terms of us being able to, to satisfy your needs, about 50% of those orders were taken off the books because they were just in case. And I think what we, we really want to make sure that we do, and the mm. challenge I think is to understand how resilient can you build your supply chain? And that's what's important. It's not just about, you know, do you have sole suppliers for everything? You, you hear a lot about nearshoring. You hear a lot about, oh, we're going to re reduce our reliance on Asia and so on. What a lot of people forget is that there's a, a primary tier, there's a secondary and a tertiary tier maybe of your supply chain. And you may be able to take the primary aspect of it and bring the, let's say, assembly back to the U.S. But that doesn't mean a lot of those raw materials are going to be in the U.S. They still may be, need to be sourced in Asia. And 
you really have to look at what's the resiliency of it and what kind of information can you give that works for, for everybody in the supply chain so that everybody you know, can be in a win-win situation, which is a difficult challenge going forward. Yeah. So, okay. And sort of sounds like a circumstance that's not tremendously sustainable. I mean, that number of orders being taken off the books, that's a very euphemistic way of saying, you know, we're getting shorted here from a previous commitment that we felt pretty secure about. And obviously very, very much not the kind of circumstances you want to run a business in. So now we'll talk a little bit about data and AI being to help, being able to kind of step in and help solve this. You folks are working with Orchestra, who's been on a previous episode here in this series, to talk about some of their work in automotive. Manufacturing is kind of its own animal. You work in the plastics and resin space. Talk a little bit about where, from your experience as a user, data and AI kind of fit in to to help solve some of these very pressing business concerns. Yeah, I think the potential of that going forward is tremendous. And working with a partner like Orchestra and, and others in the industry, what they bring is not just us looking at our own data that's on our own systems, Dan, but it enables us to look at, you know, similar companies around the globe that they're bringing all that data together for. And that really helps. That really helps to look at trends, you know, and things of that nature. So everybody talks about AI and ML and, you know, it's, it's in probably most every article going forward about manufacturing 4.0 and so on. But I think it's the intersection of that and what we call HI, human intelligence that really can make sense of it all. And right now, you know, you talk about fully automated vehicles, you talk about automated procurement. It's still very reassuring to have somebody in that Tesla sitting in the driver's seat and maybe the car is doing, the vehicle is doing 90% of it, but you still have somebody there to make a course correction if that were to happen. So the data that these companies bring that they gather around the globe and then meshed with your data can really help the accuracy of what you're working on going forward. Got it. So yeah, talk a little bit about that maybe. So it sounds like you're referencing the ability to look at the procurement and purchasing activity of other manufacturers and being able to pull that in to influence the decisions you would make in your own bespoke company or, or what are you kind of implying there? Yeah. So what's what's interesting, I guess one example of that might be, you know, we talk a lot about total value. We don't always just talk about cost. I mean, you know, in our business, I like to say it's TCO, total cost of ownership, right? Yep. So you already brought up some excellent points, Dan, about, you know, it's not just the price of the unit, it's about what your inventory carrying costs and how does everything else work in that regard. And there are, you know, potentially other suppliers that you can be introduced to that can help you as well. But I think what's really important as you look at it is how much do you know about the market that you're actually sourcing? And the more that you know about that market, the more that you can condense the cycle time in terms of how long this activity is going to take. What I mean by that is I have a term that I like to use called people a lot of times talk about speed to market. You know, in the supply chain world, I like to talk about speed to margin. And what that means is reducing your your overall costs. And if you understand the market really well and you work with a partner that can help you validate that, when you go out, let's say for an RFQ, a request for quote or something, you know, a request for proposal from suppliers, a lot of times that takes months and it takes months because, you know, of really the behavioral aspect, the behavioral science of the supplier might not know how much to bid. They're not sure, you know, all the, all the details. But if you know what the market, you know, uh, demands and what the price for that product that is reasonable, then you can go out and actually anchor that and suggest a price or suggest a starting point. And it's called anchoring with your supplier. 
and we've seen that really works well because now they have something to work off of and it actually reduces the cycle time dramatically and gets you to where you need to be in a much quicker fashion. Yeah, this is okay. And and of course, if we're taking in enough data about all these historical purchases of, I take it, you know, let's just say we're buying nuts and bolts. I'm giving you a random example because I, I don't know that much about plastic resins, David. So I don't, I don't know the, the ingredients you might be mixing and matching there, but we're buying nuts and bolts. It, it might be useful for us outside of our own organization to know for an order of this size, for this particular kind of nut or bolt, you know, within this kind of time horizon in terms of a demand, this is a reasonable range of what we should be paying. And then this other range would be a range that would be pretty unreasonable based on what the rest of the world is paying for something somewhat similar. It sounds like what you're saying is if we have that sense of what the rest of the world is paying for something similar, then we can just show up and make that known to the supplier and and maybe have a lower likelihood of being given a price that might behoove their margins, but not necessarily behoove our interests. Yeah, no, I think you nailed that uh, right on, Dan. I think it's it's something where you take the mystery out of that, right? And that's backed up by data. And you say, you know, we believe that this is a, you know, a suggested maybe starting point for the negotiation and the, and the settlement of that. And I think the suppliers appreciate that as well. And then what you do is, you know, obviously everything we do has to be completely founded on ethics and morals and fairness and whatever it might be. So the transparency is there. And then you go maybe to a second round and you give them some feedback on where they actually are as it relates to their competition. And then they can make some decisions on where they need to be. I think it's all wrapped around a package of what I call COD, you know, cost of delay. So if you're dealing with your nuts and bolts example, and you have the potential of saving a million dollars, let's say a month, and this process takes three months, you've given up $3 million you'll never get back Hmm. because you haven't implemented but if you can get this to the point where you can implement it in a month, in reality, you know, you're going to get a savings of $2 million that you wouldn't have received if you went through the traditional you know, seven-step sourcing process that takes a lot of time in a, in a dance between the supplier and the customer because no one's really exactly sure you know, where they need to be or where they want to be and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, there is something to be said of, and I think it's important for, for our listeners, some of whom are in manufacturing, some of whom are not, some of whom are in procurement, some of whom are not. It's useful to know what are our rules of thumb and kind of our measuring sticks for return on investment here. And clearly there is a, what am I paying for this thing? And am I getting ripped off for lack of a better term here or, or not? That's one very easy thing to understand. But there's another element you're talking about, which is, hey, if through data, through data on historical pricing, orders, purchases from all kinds of companies, if that can speed up the process to arrive at a final price, it's not just the final price, it's also how quickly we got there and we can start moving and building things and driving our revenues again. So it sounds like for you, both of those are important things to look at. We need to look at the price we're paying. We also need to look at the speed with which we can purchase these things that we need. Correct. Yes, that is very true. And when you look at the whole, you know, the the science of negotiation and so forth, and I've been involved in that a lot of my career, I'm not saying I'm an expert at that. But you know, there's a terminology, you know, that I've been exposed to from the program on negotiation at Harvard, and that is a BATNA, you know, a best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So you really need to determine what is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. If you don't come to an agreement, let's say with your incumbent, and what are those kind of things and, and what options, you know, really will you have? And, and I think 
when you look at that and you understand what a fair margin is based on your final product, then yes, you may not get the lowest price possible, but the amount of time maybe it took and so on may not be worth it. But also with these systems like Orchestro that are that are easy to use and you know, you're not downloading all kinds of data and people you know, understand how to use it from the start, you can continually pulse the market to ensure that you're staying competitive because that's really where you need to be, especially in today's marketplace. Things are changing dramatically. We've seen, you know, pallets prices, for instance, you know, go up dramatically and now they're coming down as fast as they went up. You're talking about ocean freight, you know, that was $25,000 now is down around $3,000. You really have to stay very close to the market, much closer than you did in the past signing long-term agreements. Yeah. Okay. So another reason why staying on top of, you know, pulsing in your terms, the data more critical than ever. Let's talk a little bit about sort of where artificial intelligence starts to add some additional value here. Obviously, the data that we're using is helping us make smarter decisions, is helping us anchor in the right spot, is helping us stay on top of these very quickly fluctuating norms of pricing for different kinds of orders, different methods of shipment, etc. Where does AI start to come in to either automate or streamline some of this heavy lifting? Yeah, so I, I think where the AI comes in is this, you know, in the past, there used to be a lack of data. Now there's, you know, probably almost too much data. There's so much data, you have to figure out what to do with it. I mean, I think I, I think I read one time that, you know, a jet engine on a 737 every hour compiles 20 terabytes of, of data, right? So when you start looking at, you know, things like onboard diagnostics and, you know, maintenance that you're going to need on machines and so on, it's really, really important. As that relates to supply chain, you know, you want to really be able to look at predictive analytics, Dan. You want to look at, you know, how to predict the potential disruption to the supply chain. So an example I can give you that's, you know, very close in right now is, you know, all the way up until about, you know, six, eight weeks ago, we have all these re- robust orders for all of our CPG customers and so on. And then you keep reading in the, in the news that the targets and the Walmarts of the world are saying that their, their warehouses are busting at the seams. And everybody's warehouses are full because of everything we talked about earlier in this discussion. What you do then is you say, okay, my normal system, my, my information might say, I need to order this much for my supplier now. But as you look at that data and, and it becomes smart data and you know, it takes some of those complex t- tasks and identifies and exposes you know, unknown patterns in the past, you look at it and you say, well, you know, maybe I do need to slow down my, my purchases of this. And you question some of that. And then you get ahead of the game now because you didn't bring in all that extra inventory and you could almost anticipate in two weeks what was going to happen. And it did happen where these orders started dropping off and we didn't have commitments on our end to bring in a huge amount of inventory. So the AI side of it can help you on the predictive analytics side and detect certain things in the, in the future that you know maybe a human alone could not do by themselves. Got it. And maybe we can wrap up on this note a little bit. You're getting to see this space evolve. Procurement, frankly, I mean, you know, when I think about all the use cases we've covered, procurement is not a space that's maybe as busy or active as some other domains of enterprise, but it's clearly critical. And there's obviously a lot of room for improvement with these clunky old processes. When you look ahead five years and think about what is going to be the new normal, how are people going to be doing business in manufacturing just writ large? Where, where is data going to fit in? Where is AI going to fit in? What do you think leaders in manufacturing have to be prepared for looking forward to how procurement is going to be? 
Yeah, I think people, again, have to be prepared to take in all of the information and make the best decisions possible. And when I say that, what I mean is one of the biggest problems that I've seen in business, quite frankly, is I call it opinion masquerading as fact. So you'll have tremendous amount of people that, you know, are afraid to say these three words. I don't know. So they'll make something up and they're not bad people. They're not, you know, this is not with malice or forethought. It's just that, you know, if that person says, I'm, I don't know, that maybe makes them look weak. And I think in the future, it's okay to say, I don't know, get the data. Because one thing we also have to understand too, is that throwing new technology at old problems is not going to fix it either. There are some fundamental things that we need to fix in the supply chain and people that are in the line of business that I deal with every day, you know, some people might like to say, oh, geez, you know, it's the pandemic that, you know, made everything difficult for me. No, in quite, in, in many cases, it's your lack of planning and your lack of, you know, robust solutions that put you in that position. So there is still some basic blocking and tackling for sure that needs to get done. But we all know that, you know, if, if a computer can process, you know, a trillion items in, in, in a certain period of time and a human can purchase 10 or 12, then if you can find a way to take care of that, because the, the most important point I think, Dan, to realize is that when you start talking about supply chain, if there's 107 items that make up that bomb or that bill of material, if you have 106 of them, you don't ship the product. Yeah. So it's not about an 80-20 rule. Oh, we'll just get 80% of it right. You've got to get 100% of it right in order for that product to go in and be able to ship to your customer on time. Yeah. So the stakes are obviously remarkably high. And in many, many domains of procurement, it's, it's similar. And I think, you know, to your point, a bit of the take home here is maybe in the past, and, and I, I, I like that you're calling this out, frankly, We've operated with imperfect data, and so we've had to just use kind of a little bit of bravado and a little bit of confidence sometimes to say, well, this is what it is. This is what I think a normal price is, and this is how this works. But more and more, people need to be coming from a place of, well, what is the actual data there? What information would I really need to make this a good decision and not just a bold decision? I think that's a lesson for every industry, not just procurement. And I think it's also a good note to end on. So David, I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for being able to join us on the show. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you. And I hope the informational for some of the listeners and I'll continue to listen as well because I learn things and new things every, every single day. So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And a big thank you to David for being able to join us on this episode. After this little podcast series, I I got to fly out to Las Vegas for Orchestro's big optimal supply chain event, do a little bit of panel moderating, speak to some of the other enterprise folks that are there and got to shake hands with David myself. Since COVID, it's actually been pretty darn rare since I've been able to see podcast guests in person. So that was a lot of fun for me. I hope some of the energy in the episode came through, was fun for you, and that some of the nuances of manufacturing and also some of the the challenges of decision-making and procurement in general are a little bit more clear thanks to David today. So we'll wrap it up from here. I look forward to catching you next week on the AI and Business Podcast.